Hey there, welcome to the Truth and Gratitude Podcast. My name is Brooke Schneider and I am your host here on the Truth and Gratitude Podcast, as well as the writer slash blogger for the Truth and Gratitude blog. What are you going to find with Truth and Gratitude? You're going to find truth, capital T truth. You're going to find faith, all things about faith, as well as travel. These are a lot of the things that I'm super pumped and excited to be sharing with you about. You can check out on the blog all the adventure guides that have been written um, in regards to all the travel and adventure that we've been on, as well as here on the podcast. But also, you're going to be hearing a lot about capital T truth, not my truth, not your truth, but the controversial topic of the truth, capital T, right? As well as things in regards to our faith. And so I'm so excited for you to be here today. Let's dive in. Hey guys, welcome back to the Truths and Gratitude podcast. This is Brooke and thanks for joining me for another edition of our little book that we're covering, Live Your Truth and Other Lies by Elisa Childers. Today we're doing things a little bit differently. We are going to actually cover two chapters this week, um, covering chapters four and five from this book from Elisa. Um, And we'll get to that in just a second, but I did want to let you guys know that um, we had the best time last weekend, uh, my life group, and I served um, at a really awesome ministry located here, kind of near where I live. It's a little bit further out, out in Warm Springs, Georgia, and it is the Hope Harbor Ministry. And there they are helping women who are um, girls that have fallen into addiction and fallen into, um, like I said, addiction, drugs, Anything in their lives that is really just they've they've really struggled with. Um, some of these girls are coming out of really bad bad situations. Um, sometimes straight out of the courtroom, out of the jail, um, and these girls have an opportunity for um, a year to enter the program at Hope Harbor Ministries, where they are offered just a time to um, basically work on themselves, work on their faith. Um, and, and work on their struggles that they're going through with addiction or any other issues that they may deal, deal with. And um, the people there are just so awesome. And so um, my life group and I, we decided that we were going to have a serve day with our life group. And we decided that we were going to go out. We were going to have yoga with them, um, have a quick yoga flow. We were going to have just some time of community to hang out with them and to talk with the, the girls that were going through the program. Um, and then we were going to have a little small activity with them where they were able to plant their own plants and to clean up the campus that they live at. Um, they recently had a fundraiser there and so they needed their campus cleaned up a little bit. And I remember kind of getting, um, just a reaction from some people kind of like, why, why are you going to do that? You know, like it was almost like, why are you doing this? You know? And the best thing I can say is just that there's something about that place that I'm drawn to. I'm drawn to the people. I mean, every single one of them are so welcoming and so loving. Um, I've now been up there three times. Um, but there's just something about it. And there's something about this idea of serving others and loving on others and um, and just kind of focusing on them, you know, instead of focusing on ourselves. And... I mean, I know that we live in this day and age and I'm guilty of it all the time. You know, like, what about me? What about my schedule? What about the things that I'm doing? You know, uh, is this going to bring me any money? You know, if I spend time 
outside of my family, you know, doing things for people? Am I going to get paid for it? You know, and so I have fallen into that many, many times, as we all have. Um, but there was just something about wanting to join these ladies and pour into them and just pour into them encouragement, truth, um, and just um, allowing them to feel just a part of a community um, and just feeling feeling normal, right? Not that they're not normal human beings, but just feeling like, wow, you know, I can, I can sit in a room full of women and we can talk and laugh and eat scones and drink hot tea and, and, and do yoga together and just hang out and just have a sense of community. And it was a beautiful, beautiful thing. And so I'm looking forward to more time with them. But why am I telling you the story? I'm telling you this because it really plays into these next two chapters that we're going to be talking about. And these next two chapters are very, um, they're very, uh, convicting, but they're also, they're kind of a hard pill to swallow because this day and age is all about ourselves, right? And all about what's going to make us feel good. And we have seen from this entire book, like that Jesus was countercultural, in fact, Jesus is still countercultural today. Um, and so that I just want to kind of set us up for this, that, that it may be a hard pill to swallow some of the things that this chapter is going to cover. Um, but just hang on tight. Just hang on with me and see, see if any of this applies to you or if any of this helps you. So chapter four is called Popsicles. Um, and I'm not sure if we're actually going to get to why it's all about popsicles. Um, but that's just the name of the chapter. And the whole, the whole premise of this chapter is hearing, um, hearing that saying about you are enough. And this was one thing that I used to tell people a lot in yoga classes or just, you know, just whatever. I would say, I wouldn't just say you are enough. I would say you are worthy and enough as you are right now in this very moment. And see, with that saying, it's very positive. It feels very good. Um, and you don't really think anything about it, right? I mean, they're just words. They're just words. But we've seen throughout this book that words they have a huge impact. They have so much meaning and just, just a little, um, just a little redefinition or redefining of a word really changes the whole meaning. Um, so she starts off with, um, she starts off with talking about how she had just had a baby, uh, facing motherhood and all of the struggles that it comes with. And, and my goodness, if you're a mother, you insert, whatever situation, whatever time you've had that you've struggled with your children, but also struggling within yourself, you know, and I think that that's kind of where she was talking about. I mean, she's talking about how, you know, she, how she felt about her body and how she wanted to feel normal again and how she felt like she was barely hanging on and will my baby ever stop crying and, and how motherhood is this very beautiful thing, but there's also a lot of, a lot of things that go into being a parent where you're like, I just want to feel like myself. And, um, She goes on to say that she came across an article that was written that was addressed to, quote unquote, every exhausted mom out there. And she was talking all about how, you know, this mom was losing her temper and, you know, really putting it out there just about how she felt alone as a mom. And she's like, wow, you know, I'm really feeling I'm feeling these same things. And the whole big reveal, the whole big um, message of this article, the answer to all the problems, 
that would turn everything around and to give moms encouragement was the punchline was you are enough. And I, I can't help but feel like I'm like, but we are right. Like it feels good. I mean, it doesn't feel good for anybody to say you're not enough, (laughs) you know? And I don't think that that's what this chapter is saying. And I don't think that that's what Christ would have said to us either, right? I don't think that he wants us to, to feel bad about ourselves, but there, there, there is, there is a whole second part to that statement, but she kind of was like, really, that's it. Like, that's the, that's the, that's the little tip that you're giving me. That's the secret to all of my problems. That's the encouragement is just saying you are enough. And I can't help but think there have been many times I have read articles after articles, you know, where in blog posts and social media posts where it says the same exact thing, you are enough. And it is a nice little reminder. It is. Um, it, it does make us feel good for just one second, right? It feels good. It feels good to say that. But the problem with that is that that particular message, Elisa says that it's actually a message of bondage. It's not a message of freedom. She says, you are enough is a message that enslaves people to the false idea that they are responsible to be the mastermind of their current circumstances and future realities, even when they feel overwhelmed. I'm going to say that again. You are enough is a message that enslaves people to the false idea that they are responsible to be the mastermind of their current circumstances and future realities, even when they feel overwhelmed. It burdens them with the obligation of being the source of their own joy, contentment, and peace. When I read this, there were a couple people that came across my mind and One in particular was a situation of someone that I had known and they were going through a huge life change. Um, They were going through a lot of mental health issues, depression um, and anxiety. And they were going around and they were trying all the different things to see what could kind of fill that void that they had. And, um, And they heard a lot of that message, you are enough. And that person took their own life and they're no longer living. Um, and I, and I can't say that, you know, that that happened because, because of, um, you know, because of that saying, that's not what I'm saying, but I just wonder for some people, you know, that if they really truly are looking for help or they really truly are struggling with something, I'm sure that, if someone were to try to encourage them and to say, you are enough. You are enough and worthy as you are right now in this moment. See, when someone says you are enough, or when I say that, I'm trying to say you are loved. There is, you do have a purpose, you know, that God does have a plan for your life, you know. But when we say you are enough, there are so many people, and I know at times I have felt this way, where I'm like, but I don't feel like I'm enough. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't give me tools to help me fix the situation that I'm in. I mean, that's what Elisa says. She says, it burdens them with the obligation of being the source of their own joy, contentment, and peace. And so when we say that, 
to people or we are hearing that and reading that, if we don't feel like we have the tools, the resource, the knowledge, if we don't feel like we have those things, then if we don't have the answer, then we feel like I'm not enough to, to fix this situation, right? I mean, just think about the situation with, you know, certain people who maybe um, get into it, who do get into a situation of addiction, you know, like if we're, if, if, if we're to say you are enough, well, in that moment, they may feel absolutely hopeless and, and helpless. Like, how do I get myself out of this situation? At least it goes on to clarify, because I know some of us are probably thinking, uh, <laughs> wait, hold on one second. Like, are you trying to make me feel bad by saying that I'm not enough? She says this, don't get me wrong, there is great value in reminding women and people that God has hardwired them with intuitive insights, nurturing qualities, and natural mothering instincts. A woman's body is beautifully designed by God to carry a baby, birth a baby, and feed a baby. Just like in the same way he's hardwired men in specific ways that make them naturally protective and bent toward working and providing. God creates everyone with certain talents, personalities, and strengths that equip them to fulfill a very specific purpose. But that doesn't mean that every person is enough for themselves. So she goes on to say that whenever she became a mother, she had this realization that she was not enough at the deepest level. She goes on to say that... um, she could not draw up within the will of her own goodness that she could give everything that her daughter needed. Um, and she will, she relates this to, you know, she needed help in the whole parenting department. You know, she was, as any parent I'm sure feels like, she's like, I actually am not enough, you know, in this department. Um, I need help. I'm struggling here. She said, even if I was the best mom who ever lived, I would still get a lot of things wrong. I would miss opportunities and blow it more often than I'd like to admit. But she says, but that is why realizing I'm not enough is actually the best news ever. You see, Jesus is enough and that's enough for me. So I know that like, you're like, oh gosh, you know, because for me, when I first read, you are not, you're enough as you are. I'm like, wait, she's saying that's a lie. I don't really like this. Let's keep going, though. In the chapter, she says that the whole idea of self-help books, that term self-help was coined in 1859. So I I used to shop in the self-help book section, and I still love walking through. And I've mentioned here before on the podcast before that I don't think it is written that their marketing strategy is, you know, write the self-help book, but don't give too many answers, right? Because um, they'll just keep buying another one. <laughs> but that's how it kind of seems. Like I would read a book, you know, and then I would I would feel encouraged and inspired. And then, you know, I would feel like I didn't get all the answers or inspiration that I needed. So I would just, you know, go and read the next one. But the self-help books were coined in 1859 and the self-help industry, she says it's a billion dollar enterprise with no signs of slowing down. So people are looking for answers, right? They're looking for answers to, um, really, and looking for books that will say the whole you are enough thing. 
I kind of laughed um, the other day. I saw that there was another book that came out that was like, I don't even know who the author was, but it was all about, you know, um, helping women to be the best mothers that they can be and giving them all the tips and tricks and things that this new mother had learned along the way. And the child was, I mean, probably not even a year old, you know, and I'm like, how many mothering books are out there? (laughs) How many motherhood books are out there? And I'm not saying that that person has not learned all that they need to know, right? Well, they haven't learned all that they need to know, but you know, I'm like, I know you've learned a lot in the time that you've had this child, but there's so much more to learn. And, um, but I just, it just reminded me of, you know, how many motherhood books, how many mothering and parenting books, or how many books I could find out there that would kind of just keep telling me the things that I wanted to hear. It's like I would read a book and I would hear all the affirmations and hear all of the things that I wanted to hear about you are enough. And then I would be done. And then I would kind of feel, start feeling bad again. I wouldn't feel as inspired. So I'd grab another one and I'd kind of be on a high with that one. And so she's saying that this is a billion dollar enterprise, a billion dollar um, industry. She's saying that most of these books are telling us that it's based on the assumption that people are basically good. And it's saying if we actually just dive into our, our own hearts and souls and tap into creativity, power, beauty, truth, and goodness, then we would be enough. But if someone who is struggling with their identity, their worth, and even their mental health, it doesn't make sense to point out how wonderful they are, does it? It says, according to recent research, 81% of 2,000 Americans that were surveyed, they don't believe that they are inherently good. I'm sorry. They do. It says, and who doesn't want to believe that they are inherently good? Sorry, I messed that up. So 81% of 2,000 Americans surveyed believe that we are all inherently good. And it sounds so positive, but deep down we know, she says, that we know that humans are, are, are basically not good. I mean, you can see this with your own children um, or just children in general. And, you know, I'm a teacher, so I see these things. Like, we have to teach kids, like, hey, don't do that. Hey, don't push that person. Hey, don't lie. Hey, don't do these things. And, I mean, I I feel like I have angel babies. I think that my daughters are sassy and sweet, and but they're angels, you know, and they, they've got a good heart. But how many times have I had to, you know, tell them, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. So... We know that we all have, um, we all need guidance. We know that we're not inherently good. So this billion dollar industry, it reminded me of a book that I was given. It's a journal. I think it was, um, I think it was called I'm Effing Radiant. Um, I think it did say effing. I don't think it actually said the whole thing. Um, but basically throughout the whole book, the whole journal, and you've probably seen it before, it's a very cute cover. It's bright. It's, it's very cute. Um, basically this entire book, I think it was kind of their goal to like use the F word as much as possible. Um, you know, all throughout the book. And it really, I mean, it was just a bunch of journaling prompts about like, you know, writing to yourself about how effing awesome you are, about how effing radiant you are, about how effing, you know, beautiful you are, how effing this, how effing that. And 
and really it just kind of, I was thinking that this book was going to have a more of a, more meat to it. Like, you know, more inspiring things, but it was really just truly focused on you writing about yourself and kind of help helping convince you that you are awesome and you are so awesome and, and great. And it really, it was supposed to be uplifting, but it was more of a downer. Um, and I just find that sometimes that when we are, when we're so, con- so, so consumed with ourselves, so narcissist, narcissistic, you know, sometimes it's, it's more of a downer than it is uplifting. Um, so she goes on to say, she goes on to say this, that, um, let me find where I am. Give me one second. So sorry. So let's compare and let's look at this. There are some quotes that she puts in here from pretty well-known authors. Most of the time it was from Jen Hatmaker, um, who was like a Christian writer. And now she's deconstructed and she doesn't really write about the faith anymore. Um, Rachel Hollis. Um and some of those people. So she writes right here. She just pulls up some of their, some of their quotes. And so I want to see what you think. So this one says, I am exactly enough. And if we complain, if we compare that to the Bible, if we compare that to, to what Christ said, we are not exactly enough. We are not exactly enough for ourselves because if we are exactly enough for ourselves, then Christ coming to die in our place was for nothing. It says you deserve goodness. Well, if we look at it, I I want goodness in my life. You know, I want good things in my life. Um, and I think sometimes that we think that, you know, well, if I, if, if I do everything right based off of my acts, you know, then I deserve all good things. But really in reality, when we compare it to the Bible, um, we, and it's hard to say, but, you know, we deserve, we really deserve death. Um, but Christ came in our place instead. See, these, these, <laughs> these quotes, these things are kind of uncomfortable, right? And it, it make it kind of puts you in your place. And this is why these things are not popular. These aren't bestsellers, right? Uh, people are not like, you know, dying to hear these things because it doesn't, um, it, it makes them think, it makes them reassess. And the last one, the last quote says, I studied the gospel and finally grasped the divine knowledge that I am loved and worthy and enough, dot, 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 as I am. And we are worthy and we are enough and we are loved, but it is only because of what Christ did for us. That is the only reason why. Um, So, wrapping up the rest of this chapter, she says that on page 40, excuse me, I'm looking at the page number, the page that I'm looking at, she goes on to say that you don't actually have to be enough because Jesus already is. She says he explains this quite plainly in John 15 when he compares himself to a vine. Those who believe in him are like branches growing from and dependent upon that vine Jesus tells us that when we abide in him and he abides in us, we will bear good fruit in nature 
a branch that is cut off from its vine will quickly die. It will never bear fruit in and of itself. It is not enough. So away from that vine, alone from the source, cut off, we wither and we die. Um, it, we aren't enough on our own. We have to be plugged into the source. You know, I think about that as we, as as I'm gardening, you know, I have a couple of garden beds at outside of my classroom and you know, and I stand and I and I'm with my students and I'm looking at the things that we're growing and there's a process of weeding out the things that um are not necessary and the things that are choking out the 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 good um harvest that we have in there. And there are times though where we, you know, one particular shoot from an herb or from um, the spinach or, or some of the plants, you know, they're barely, they're barely hanging on to, um, like, I'm just thinking of the spinach right now. There's some spinach that I have that it's kind of, it's kind of gotten, uh, laid down and away from the main stems and it's not growing, right? It's not plugged into the source. It's the same thing if I go and I, you know, clip, um, a particular shoot off of, you know, the spinach or the lettuce that we have or a flower, if I take it away from the source, it's beautiful to look at, right? But eventually it will die on its own. It has to be connected to the source in order for it to be enough. We're not enough on our own. So I made a little note that says that, that says the vine is providing the nutrients and everything we need to flourish and to produce a crop or to produce something good. So when we stay plugged in, there's that continual growth that happens. She says, Jesus covered our not enoughness with his enoughness to make us enough before God. Jesus is enough. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we find peace with God. But so we are enough before God, but it is only because of Christ. So the last thing I want to leave you with is this. She says we can achieve the purpose for which we were created, finding peace with God, worshiping him and enjoying him forever. You will never be good enough, smart enough, ambitious enough, athletic enough, disciplined enough, strong enough, gracious enough, loving enough, honest enough, Gifted enough, tough enough, gentle enough, talented enough, or dedicated enough. This news humbles the mighty and elevates the humble. And I wrote, this does not feel good, right? This does not feel good to be told these things before really, truly honest with ourselves. I mean, I can go through here and I'll say, that's not true, right? But I mean, we can look at here like, uh, I'm not good enough. Well, there are things that, yeah, there are things that I may suck at smart enough. There is some knowledge that I may forget about, or I may not be able to do certain things that I know that I may not know about. So I have to go and I have to acquire that knowledge. Ambitious enough. That is so, that is so me at times, you know, I feel like I'm like, yes, a hundred percent. I want to do this thing. And then there's times where I just lose like my mojo, you know, there, I just lose like, man, I don't, I don't want to go for the goal. I don't want to go and do the thing. Athletic enough. That is the truth. (laughs) There are times where I am not athletic enough. Discipline enough. Yes, there are times where I am not disciplined, where I just kind of let everything fly and I just let it just get all messy and just get out of routine and all of that, you know? 
strong enough. Yes, there are times where I go through some hard things and I just think that I cannot, I cannot do this, right? Gracious, loving, honest enough. Yes to all those things. Tough enough, gentle enough, talented enough, or dedicated enough. Yes, we all go through these times where we are not, we're not those things. And she says that this news humbles the mighty if they listen to it and it elevates the humble. She says, but when your trust is placed in Jesus, his enoughness is transferred to you. We're armed with that knowledge that we're not enough in and of ourselves and we don't have to be enough. But yet you can be in a better position to prioritize who comes first in your life. So these are some notes that I wrote that in the yoga world, which is kind of where I've been in a while in the self-help culture, um, self mantra and affirmations are very popular, right? So you have these affirmations where you may use them, um, like you may use these, uh, affirmations to manifest things, manifest things in your life or, um, or just to kind of focus on. And so basically it's a repetition. It's a, a repetition activity basically. And in my mind, it practically just kind of brainwashes us. Right, it's it has a say and repeat something over and over and over and over and over until it's second nature. So I did some research and I looked up some some uh, self help, some self mantra affirmations, and just to see how that they worked. And it says right here, the the particular article that I pulled up. It says here are some examples, and it was kind of it was in. You know, it was saying that these mantras and affirmations will truly help. And, um, you know, it it also advised to repeat these mantra affirmations daily. So for during your meditation, which I'm not saying that meditation is a problem. It's not. Absolutely not. I mean, I think meditation is a great thing. Um, I think some Christians believe that meditation is, you know, woo-woo and juju and um, it's not. It can be used for that, but you can definitely be a Christian and also do meditation. But here are some affirmations, some mantra affirmations that I found. So some examples are, you are enough, you are powerful, you are all you need and have all you need within you. I wake up motivated, I am unstoppable, I am led by my dreams I am self-sufficient, I free myself, I can rid myself of this pain, I accept myself for who I am, okay? All of these affirmations are kind are trying to build this confidence, trying to build this, this empowerment mindset, right? And that's, that's great. But what happens is that foundation is built upon us ourselves and when that happens we've already discussed that that is a shaky foundation what happens when you have a really really bad day this past week was a doozy of a week and what was so crazy was last weekend was when I had spoken to the girls at Hope Harbor you know I did yoga with them but I also did this this kind of teaching with them you know and and to help them and to encourage them and by golly this past week it was like, it just hit me. I was like, oh my gosh, like everything that I talked to them about, like I struggled with this past week. 
And I had to remember the things that I said. But it also said on this affirmation on how to use this specifically, it said, the note said, these mantras, these affirmations, they are only effective if you have a high self-esteem already. That is what this mantra affirmation website, how to do it said. If you want these to be effective, you already have a high self-esteem. People who have a low self-esteem may use these and actually feel worse. They don't believe it. It says on that website, it said, but if you have your mind right, use these. So on the website, it didn't actually say how to get the high self-esteem. It's already just saying like, well, if you have a high self-esteem, then you can use these and they'll be effective. But like, what about the people who are truly hurting? You know, what about the people who are truly looking for an answer? What if they're looking for, hey, I have tried all the things that I've tried and you're telling me that I'm enough, but I don't feel like I'm enough. I'm looking for the answers. I'm looking for the thing that's going to help me get out of, get out of this pit. And that answer is not given to them. So I just, I thought that was interesting that that website was basically like, hey, these will work if you have a high self-esteem. So think about that. And actually think about, you know, if hearing you're not enough is hard for you, maybe think about for a second, why is it so hard to hear that? Like, how does, how does that, when you come to face to face with that reality, how does that make you feel? And does it offer you any freedom or peace? At first you may be like, "Mm, I don't like that. (laughs) But how does it actually offer you freedom and peace to maybe not have all the answers to maybe not, um, to maybe not be everything that you need to be for yourself and actually rely on the fact that like, wow, I may not be able to bring everything to the table. I may not be enough in every area of my life, but at least I don't have to be. At least Christ is that for me. Okay, next chapter was the chapter Armageddon. Okay, of course, this this title is coming from the movie Armageddon. There was a movie reference. And um, the, the part of this, the whole, the whole premise of this chapter is you should put yourself first. So before I even hopped on this chapter with my people, I asked them the question, when was the last nice thing you did for someone else? Like, when was the last time that you did something for someone and didn't expect something in return? And then I also asked them, when was the last time that someone did that for you? And they, they put themselves on the back burner and they put you first. And how did that make you feel? And that kind of set us up for our chapter of all about you should put yourself first. Um, I remember seeing a couple of years ago, it was actually when I had my first child. And I was watching this person that I really put on a pedestal. Um, she didn't know that I was putting her on a pedestal, but I would kind of watch everything that she would put out on social media. And then I would kind of compare my life to hers and I would try to do the things that she did. And, and, um, she just seemed like the most awesome parent and she looked like she had it all together. And I remember seeing a post that she had made one day and it was just talking all about like, you know, 
her kids, you know, and, and just about the fact that like she did love them, but you know, honestly, her happiness and her joy comes first. They don't come first and she's not, you know, she's not, um, she doesn't really want to be seen. Like she is her own person. Like she does. It's not about her kids, you know? Um, she loves them dearly. I know how it was put. It was put this way. It was put, um, that the, her kids were not her whole world. Her whole world did not revolve around her children. Um, and I, I understood the kind of what she was trying to say, but the way that it was written was written in such a way where it was like, dang, you know, um, and, and don't get me wrong. Like, our children are a priority in our life too. They do not rule our roost. <laughs> they do not rule, you know, the things that we do. But what was said was, my children are not my whole world. You know, they are not my whole world. They're in my world, but they're not my whole world. But my whole world is basically, you know, myself, my truth, you know, and it just, it didn't, it didn't feel right the way that I was reading it. I was like, dang, man. Um, and so that really just, it kind of changed my perspective on how I, I thought about this particular person. I'm like, you know, maybe, maybe this is not the person that I need to be looking at to learn how to parent, you know, because I truly felt like, you know, I mean, I guess I will say this. My children, I feel like are my whole world. Um, and I know that at times people are like, well, God should be your whole world. But I mean, of course God comes first, but our family means so much to us. I would do anything for them, anything. And that is what the name of this chapter, Armageddon, is all about. Because if you remember that movie, if you remember the father that was in, I'm going to totally butcher this, but he was in the spacecraft or the rocket or whatever, and the meteor was either going to hit, you know, the world, or it was going. he was going to go and he was going to go take care of that. Was it a meteor or asteroid? I don't know. My husband actually tears up every time he watches this movie. So he would be better to discuss this chapter with. But he decided to sacrifice, you know, sacrifice his, his life instead of, you know, this huge thing, you know, um, this huge thing crashing into the earth. And so it was saying, I mean, I know that that's a very... I know that's a very dramatic example, but it's this, you know, I will uh, lay down your life for another. And I I know that this particular person, this particular mother would do that. But, ma'am, it was really all about, you know, putting myself first. And it's about me and my life. And um, I don't know, I just, I kind of feel sorry for people sometimes. Um when I hear that. She says in this chapter, she says, listen to me. Putting yourself first sounds good because we all know that an exhausted, angry, and overworked person is no good for anyone. And amen to that. Um, And especially with parents and especially moms, we hear this all the time. Like, put yourself first, put yourself first, put yourself first. You know, put the oxygen mask on, you know, before you put it on your children. And like, I get all that, you know, like we do need to take care of ourselves. We do. But the thing that she's talking about here in this chapter is about that narcissistic type mentality that we see ruling our culture today of, oh, I'm going to put myself first. You know, I'm not going to self, I'm not going to sacrifice the things that I want to do or my time or my money or, or whatever I want to do. 
you know, for another person. Um, it's all about me. So she says, trust me, blocking it all out and jumping into a warm basin of luxurious sounds like just the thing sounds just like the thing to reset our patience and wash our worries away and please moms hear this out listen to me if you're at the end of your rope go take a bath parents get in a workout go out to lunch chop wood or watch your favorite sports team do whatever it is that recharges and energizes you to better serve your family it's important that we must take care of our minds and bodies as good stewards of the gift of life God has given us. But if our understanding of ourselves isn't rooted in scripture, it can become easy to confuse taking care of ourselves with the world's idea of self-care. So we have two different mentalities here. We have the self-care world and we have just taking care of ourselves. Like we're just supposed to be taking care of ourselves no matter no matter what. But if we actually hit our limit and we hit that stress level and we're like, I just need some self-care. What does the world tell us to do? Where the world tells us to go and, you know, go on a shopping spree or, you know, um, go get a massage, which by the way, I love a massage. Um, go do all these things. Go spend all this money on yourself. Go do these things. And she is saying, we cannot forget to go root ourselves back into scripture, you know, to come back to that foundation, um, in order to take care of ourselves. I love this quote. She says that, There was, from the book, You're Not Enough and That's Okay by Allie Beth Stuckey, she says that the self can't be both the problem and the solution. If our problem is that we're insecure or unfulfilled, we're not going to be able to find the antidote to these things in the same place our insecurities and fear are coming from. And... Allie Beth goes on to say, I hated myself for my unhealthy patterns. And at the same time, I thought I could fix myself, but it just doesn't work that way. Sometimes we can't be the solution to our own problem. Sometimes we are the problem and we need help. We need Christ's help. So, and again, that is not what people want to hear. Elisa goes on to say, every time we choose to put our wants and our desires before the needs of others, it creates an imbalance. And what was crazy about, I was telling a friend, was what was crazy about, you know, going out, um, going out and, and doing that time at Hope Harbor. And, and, and I didn't know, really, I didn't know these girls prior to going out there. I'd only met them one time for a short, very short amount of time. Still don't know them fully. Um. But what's crazy is about, you know, serving and taking the time to do something for someone else. I mean, we're talking about going out and and giving them an experience of um, rest, relaxation, just a time for themselves to experience something that maybe some of them have not experienced before. Um, And I'm talking like pulling out all the stops, like the candles and the oils and the scones and the hot tea. And and I'm not saying all this to be like, oh, look what we did. But I'm saying like society would look at that and say, why? Why are you going to a place where these girls have struggled with addiction, drugs, you know, whatever? Why are you going and you're spending time with them? And there's just something about experiencing joy in this fulfillment when you go and you serve others. I mean, I, I was like, I want to come do this again. 
when can we do this again? You know, it, they, they were just so grateful. And I was so honored to be out there with them. And Christ actually talks about this. He tells us in one of his commandments to love your neighbor as yourself. She says in our narcissistic culture, inundated as we are with psychology, most have taken this as a command for self-love. But it says, notice that Jesus doesn't have to command you to love yourself. He assumes you already know how to do that. He actually has to tell you to put God first and others second because this does not come naturally. No one has to command us and tell us, hey, you need to love yourself. You know, like we usually can pretty much do that all on our own. But going and loving on other people that we don't even know, or maybe we don't agree with their lifestyle. I'm not talking about condoning their lifestyle. I'm not saying continue to do the things that you're doing to harm yourself or to harm others. That's not what I'm saying. But going and loving on others. She actually says that Jesus famously said, do to others as you would have them do to you. Luke 6 31. Now get this. She was saying that there are many other religions that actually say that Jesus ripped that off from other religions like who said it first was it confucius or buddha or in hinduism or greek philosophy like who said it first she's like but here's what the skeptics miss and every one of the examples above with all of those other religions the golden rule is in the negative form meaning do not do to others what you don't want them to do to you So in all those other examples, that's what they're saying. Do not do to others what you don't want others to do to you. Treat others the way that you want to be treated, right? She said, but that isn't so difficult, is it? When we word it this way, you don't actually have to do anything. You could actually be indifferent. You can still put yourself first and simply avoid being a huge jerk to someone when you put it that way. But she says that isn't good enough for Jesus. He flips it on his head and he turns a don't into a do. She said it's actually impossible to obey the golden rule and put yourself first at the same time. So turning a don't into a do, meaning, hey, go and love others as I have loved you. Not don't do to them what I went and do to you. I could I could be like, okay, well I'm just not gonna go to do anything for them. <laughs> How about that? No, go and love others as I have loved you. First commandment is love God with all your heart. Second is go love others as I've loved you. Right? Says Jesus couldn't be any clearer about what his first priority was. Not ourselves, but God, his kingdom, his righteousness, and other people. That is 100%. um, It's not, she says, it's not the poster child of self-empowerment, right? Self-empowerment is all about me, me, me. And Christ, again, is being countercultural once more. So wrapping this up, I just want to leave you with a few notes here. So she says, just from a couple of notes, it says that choosing our wants and our desires actually creates an imbalance. And I wrote, well, when I hear this, I want to, I want to make an excuse on why I deserve to, you know, have everything that I want desire. And the truth is just harder to swallow. Jesus doesn't command us to love ourselves. Loving God is first 
and others, and sometimes that's just not natural. So just some examples of that. Leviticus 19.18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. That was actually written in 538 to 332 BC. So before Confucius and Buddhism, Confucius says, do not do unto others what you would not want others to do unto you. So there's that don't. Buddhism, whatever is disagreeable to yourself, do not do to others. Hinduism also starts off saying, don't do to others what you would not have others do to you. But Christ says, love others as I have loved you, right? So she's saying that don't, that negative, (laughs) I don't have anything to actually do with those people. And I can still be following that rule, right? But Christ says, no, I want you to do this differently. I actually want you to go and love those people. Lastly, Mark 10, 45 says, the son of man, Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. Romans 2, 8, those who are self-seeking um, take the path of least resistance. So she ends up saying that um, a couple of extra people, let me open the book one more time. Um, she uses the example of living our lives as solar panels. So, you know, solar panels, they, they take... They take the the sunlight and they turn that into energy. She says, we're more like a house with solar panels. These panels face the sun and convert sunlight into energy, which in turn powers the house. It's a continual process of giving and receiving. So being, I'm sorry, not receiving, giving and renewal. So it is taking in the sun, taking in him as the source of our energy and, and turning that into power for others. I want to leave you with a couple quotes and I just, you know, you, you hear, you hear all that Christ has told us how we want, how he wants us to be. And this is what culture says. I just want, I just want you to see if it, if you feel any differently hearing these quotes and see if you can feel that, that, um, counterculturalness that we've been talking about. This one says, you are meant to be the hero of your own story. I am willing to be the villain in someone else's story if it means I can be the hero of my own. Wow. We do not need more selfless women. What we need right now is more women who have detoxed themselves so completely from the world's expectations that they are full of nothing but themselves. What we need are women who are full of themselves. A woman who is full of herself knows and trusts herself enough to say and do what must be done. She lets the rest burn. Holy smokes. All I'll say about that is if you've ever met somebody who is so full of themselves, you know that they don't have very many people that want to be around them. It's, it's, it's a huge turnoff. Last two quotes. You should be the very first of your priorities. And I'll abandon everyone else's expectations of me before I'll abandon myself. I'll disappoint everyone else before I disappoint myself. I'll forsake all others before I forsake myself. Me and myself, we are till death do us part. These are all from many, many famous people who have written books, including Glennon Doyle. She was a former Christian mommy blogger who turned into a bestseller. She also left her husband and had an affair with a woman as well. She put her romantic needs first before her family and her children. Um, She wrote the books Untamed. Um, So that is what culture is saying. I don't know. feels a little bit different than what Christ has told us to do. 
Lastly, Elisa says, this is something self-help culture will never understand when Jesus tells us to pick up our cross. All the self-obsessed books in the world can't fathom that a person could possibly find joy and peace even in the confines of an unhappy marriage, an unrealized dream, or a life that falls short of their expectation. I'll just pause there. The girls at Hope Harbor, even though they are struggling and they have a hard time and they're separated from their families during this year-long program and they have a past, they have a beautiful joy that is contagious, a faith that is beautifully contagious, and it is my prayer that they will hold on to that once they leave the program. But society doesn't understand that. They don't understand how they have that peace and that joy, even in their, during their situation, and it's only because of Christ. They don't understand how putting God and others first actually provides a stable platform upon, upon which to stand and weather all manner of storms. This is why their inner cheetahs, that cheetah term is coming from her book, Glennon Doyle, her book, Untamed, this is why their inner cheetahs keep chasing their tails, looking for the next relationship, high career success, or bit of happiness. So, to wrap this up, it says, with Christ in you, you can walk through anything. You can be unfulfilled sexually, emotionally, and intellectually, yet still be 100% free and filled with a deep abiding joy. And that is true. So these two chapters were really something. Um, they were really, you know, they were really eye-opening. And the whole point of this chapter was just the fact that keep your eyes open and look up. It's like that Lauren Daigle song, Look Up, Child. Look up. Because when we look up, we can see others. We can observe others. We can take our eyes off of social media ourselves. And we can see that there are other people that have a story. There are other people that have a need. And there are other people who are hurting. And once we realize that this life, it's not all about us. Right? It's not all about, you know, what we want and what we desire. But actually, you know, being the hands and feet of Christ. So these are some chapters that are, that are hard to take in, but they're good ones. So I hope that you will continue on listening um, for this series. We've got several more to go. We are going to combine the next two chapters, six and seven together. We're recovering the idea of being authentic and YOLO. Y'all remember that term? YOLO, you only have one life. So we're going to cover those two chapters next week. So guys, if you need anything else from Truth and Gratitude, you know where to find it on social media or online at truthandgratitude.com. I'll be talking to you guys next week. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining me with this podcast episode. I hope you'll be back for our next episode that we will have in the series. Uh, until then, if you need any other Truths and Gratitude content, you can check out Truths and Gratitude on the Instagram page or check out truthandgratitude.com where you can find all things that are faith, travel, and truth. As always, guys, continue to be raw, be authentic, and be you.